We'd like to welcome you to our Resurrection Sunday service here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. We'll be hearing the message, The Empty Promises of Easter, a little later on in the service. We encourage you to grab your Bible, notepad, cup of coffee, download the sermon outline from the church app, and enjoy the service. He is risen. He is risen indeed.
Welcome this morning. It's a unique welcoming, a unique day for all of us. Probably the first time that most of us have ever celebrated without going to a church somewhere. But we're grateful that you're spending time with us here online. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That'll be our scripture reading for this morning. But first, I'd like to go over a couple of brief announcements. Uh, We will be starting our Wednesday night Bible study online. You can go to the GBC app or gracebible.org online and look for the links there. We'll be going back to our study in Ecclesiastes. Also, the ladies' Bible study will continue on Tuesday evenings as well as Thursday mornings. Ladies, uh, I heard you're getting all used to the Zoom app and doing a great job and interacting and just having some good fellowship and prayer uh, with one another. Uh, So we're thankful for that. Also, we're thankful for those of you who have been sending in your offerings, even though you're not attending the church building. uh, The church building still has uh, expenses, and we're grateful for your generosity uh, to our church body. If you'd like any other information concerning our online services, please go to our website, uh, gracebibleonline.org. And any of the information there you may need, uh, just click on the drop-downs and I'm sure you'll get what you need. Well, again, like I said, we appreciate you spending time with us this morning. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's a unique celebration. It's one that will probably be remembered for the rest of our lives. And uh, I know it'll be something uh, that you can tell your kids, your grandkids, and so on uh, during this crisis. But we hope you're all well, continuing to stay safe. And as we look ahead, continue to pray for our leadership in this country for wise decisions. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, 
I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also, who have, those of you who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are all people to be most pitied. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you that these words that we read this morning, they're not in vain. For you did resurrect on the third day, according to your word of truth. Father, you defeated death and took on the sins of the world. That, Father, by our putting our faith in you and what you did on our behalf, we too will be saved from death. So thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. And as we celebrate your resurrection on this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, even though we're not gathered together in a physical way, we are all one spirit. And so, Lord, we celebrate the proclamation and the testimony of your resurrection this day. May we, as your believing people, Lord, give hope to those who are hopeless. And, Father, you may help us give that truth that you gave to us so that none would perish. So thank you, Father, for this time. We look forward to the message that you would bless it through your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Steve? Thanks, Ken. Well, these definitely are unprecedented times we're living in. I know this past week I was pondering what this day might look like. Most churches plan and, and live for this very day every year, Resurrection Sunday. In a way, I thought it's kind of unfortunate that we tend to carve out one or two days of the year, Christmas or Easter, to dress up in our Sunday best and come out and fellowship with the church and have a wonderful meal with family and friends. Most of us would say we do that because it's tradition, and that's fine. Well, I trust that you haven't become too comfortable with your time away from the body of Christ. My biggest fear is just that, that folks will grow accustomed to watching their pastor on a smartphone app or a big screen TV and be okay with it. That would be a very dangerous precedent to set for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, it would violate the very Word of God. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I, I trust that you are longing to regather together as the body of Christ when we are able to do so. In the meantime, we want to make use of the technology that God has given us to be instructed, to be taught, to be built up and edified by the Word, the Word of God. Well, today I'm going to be speaking to you about the empty promises of Easter. The empty promises of Easter. And we'll be looking at Luke chapter 24, so you can turn there in your Bibles or on your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. We are still the church. Amen? Amen. Well, today I want to speak to you about the empty promises of Easter. The empty promises of Easter. As you've turned in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, we'll also be looking over at the Gospel of John as well. I want to share with you three promises. Three promises, I see. But before we do that, let's read our text for this morning. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along as I read this for you. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Johanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you today in faith, knowing that you are present here with us and that you hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation that you have so graciously provided through his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. We ask that you would bless each one that hears your word go forth today. We pray that it would provide the hope of salvation, the hope of forgiveness of sin, and the hope of a personal relationship with you as their God and creator. Lord, we ask that you would make known your grace to all those who are serving on the front lines of this pandemic of a virus, whether it be the first responders, the fire, the police, the EMTs, the nurses, the doctors, the caregivers, Lord, we also pray for our president and vice president and their staffs who strive to protect and restore calm to our country. We ask that you would be gracious, Lord, to those who have contracted this virus and that you would provide 
them with care for their physical body as well as their spiritual souls. We pray for comfort during this time of loss and grief for many, that you would touch their hearts and lives with your hand of grace. We know, Lord, that you are sovereign in all matters. We ask that you would give us strength and perseverance for our faith to continue to trust in your providential care for our souls and lives during these trying times. We now come to our time in your word, your precious holy word. We ask that you would clear our minds of all distractions. Help us to focus on the message before us today. May your word speak encouragement to our lives. If there's anyone who may be listening to this message today who is yet to fully grasp the gospel, your message of forgiveness and hope, I pray that you would draw them to yourself today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The message today is the empty promises of Easter. The empty promises of Easter. I remember reading a story, I think it was in a Dear Abby article or book, and it told a story of a family that lived in a very affluent, wealthy area. And because their community was so rich, every time one of the, the children would graduate from high school, the parents would buy them a brand new car. And uh, this one family had a son, and his father and son were looking for cars for a couple months before graduation. And they found the perfect car. And on the eve of the graduation, his father handed him a, a gift. And the son opened the gift, and kind of excited. And it was a Bible in a box. And the son was rather upset, thinking he was going to get a car. And he threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house so angry that he never reached out to his dad again. And it was only when he heard the news of his father's death that brought this son home again. And as one night he sat in the empty house of his father, going through the possessions that he was to inherit, he came across that Bible that was given to him many years previous. He brushed the, the dust off the box and opened the box and looked at the Bible again. And as he leafed through the pages, he opened it up and found a note from his father. And next to the note, he saw an envelope with a cashier's check dated on the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. As I thought about that story, I couldn't help but wonder how many people in this world have done the same thing to God. Literally, they've tossed aside the wonderful promise because maybe they didn't understand it. Maybe it didn't make sense to them. Maybe they didn't believe it was possible. Because in our world, in our society today, we're taught that if it sounds too good to be true, guess what? It probably is. So many of us have been taken in by empty promises. We're really leery of anything or anyone that tells us that we can have something for nothing. Because the world simply doesn't work that way. But you know what? The good news is God does. God never made a promise that was too good to be true. I mean, the truth of the matter is the world is full of empty promises. We see them all around us. We watch TV and probably more lately, since we're confined to our homes, 
But as we're watching TV, we see advertisements. And these advertisements tell us how we can be happy and rich or famous. How we can lose more weight. How we can look younger. If we only purchase this certain product. And it doesn't take long before we have been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness. But I'm here to tell you today, God is different. See, instead of promises full of emptiness, on this Resurrection Sunday, He gave us emptiness that is full of promise. And this morning, I would like us to think about the promises of the Resurrection, the promises of Easter. There's three of them. Each promise is marked by something empty. We're going to look at an empty cross, an empty tomb, and some empty burial clothes. It is the very fact that each of these is empty that assures us that God's promises are real. They are true. Because they couldn't hold Jesus. Because he couldn't be contained by the cross, the tomb, or even his burial clothes. We can be sure of the fullness of God's promises in our lives. Well, let's look at the first point. Hopefully you've downloaded the outline, sermon outline from the, the uh, Bible, the church app. And you have that in front of you. The first point on the outline is the empty cross. The empty cross. Let's begin with the empty cross. Because the cross was empty, we have the, pr the promise of forgiveness of sins. Let's go back, if you will, to that first resurrection morning. Think about it with me. It's, it's early morning. It's dawn. The sun has not risen yet. There's a few of Jesus' followers. They're women, actually, and they're on their way to the tomb. It's the tomb where Jesus was buried. They've been walking now for probably about a half hour. The conversation is subdued because the task before them is a sad one. You see, they're going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. As they come to the top of the rise of the path, they all stop, motionless and quiet. They stare off into the distance. And as we look with them, if you look off to your right, you'll notice outside the city stands a, a gruesome reminder of the events of just a few days ago. Do you see it there over the hillside, silhouetted by the glow of the pink sky? On the top of the hill, the locals call the skull, Golgotha. Three crosses stand. See, yesterday was the Sabbath, and nobody had the chance to take these three crosses down from the execution that had happened on Friday. So there they stand, an empty reminder of the horrific events that happened on Friday. I want you to focus on those three crosses, but more importantly, I want you to focus on the one in the middle. Because that's the one I want you to see. That's the one that Jesus hung on. Take a close look at it with me. Look at the top. You see those blood stains? Well, that's from the crown of thorns that was thrust and crushed down onto Jesus' head, onto his skull. The stains on the ends of the crossbar, well... They came from the nails that were driven into his hands. And you see all that blood on that main beam. It's just soaked in blood. That blood came from when the soldiers beat him with a cat of nine tails before his crucifixion. 
It also has stains from the blood that poured from his side when another Roman soldier ran the spear through his side to make sure that he was dead. Well, guess what? He was. See, don't ever let anyone tell you or try to convince you that Jesus was just faking his death. There's no question about it, beloved. Jesus was dead. The soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. And even the Jews knew it. But they had to come up with a way to explain the empty tomb. So together they made up a lie. It was a ridiculous lie, really. They said the disciples stole the body. Can you believe that? Eleven fishermen overpowering a Roman a company of Roman soldiers, moving a two-ton stone and stealing the body of Jesus. Also that they could claim that he came back to life. And then, by the way, they all died a martyred death to protect their lie. That seems kind of ridiculous. You see, Jesus really did die. That's why I want you to focus on the cross this morning. It's the place where he died. But today, the truth is the cross is empty. I remember after I was saved by God's grace, how I often wondered how my previous church, the Catholic Church, always had Jesus, the Savior, still on the cross, still suffering. Beloved, Jesus is no longer on the cross. The cross is empty, empty of the body of Jesus Christ, but full. It's full of God's promises. It's full of hope for you and me. The promise of the empty cross is that you and I can stand forgiven because it was on that cross, that cross that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. That's a novel term, right? Sins. A lot of people don't use that word anymore. Maybe because it's politically incorrect. But the simple fact of the matter is, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us, you, me, the person sitting next to you on the couch. The Apostle Paul says so much in Romans chapter 3, a letter to the, the Christians in Rome, the church in Rome, verses 10 to 18. Let me read that for you. Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Listen to this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Doesn't that describe our society today? There is no fear of God before their eyes. Even in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it simply states, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. The only person, beloved, the only person who has ever lived a sinless life, a perfect life, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Everyone else failed. So here's the problem. 
According to God's law, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. It also says the soul that sins will surely die. See, because we have sinned, we all deserve God's just punishment. We deserve eternal death in hell. However, when you look at the empty cross, what is it? It's a reminder of God's promise that we have been forgiven. On that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. God's word tells us so much in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrated his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was on that cross that Jesus offered his perfect, sinless life on behalf of each one of us. No one else has done that for us. Think about it. Not even biblical characters like Moses or Abraham or David or Isaiah. They didn't do that. Or religious characters like Buddha or Muhammad. No one else has ever lived a perfect life and then offered that perfect life for our salvation. That's why the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, there is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. When Jesus Christ breathed his last, he cried out, it is what? Finished. It is finished. Why? Because the penalty was paid. On that cross, the empty cross, it was there that his blood was spilt for our salvation. Before that faithful Friday, God could have opened up the books of our lives and looked up each of our names and written in black on the pages of that book were the following. Guilty of sin. Guilty of sin. But when Jesus went to the cross, God literally transferred our accounts of sin to his name. On that day, across every name of every person who would ever believe in him for salvation and the forgiveness of sin, he wrote in Jesus' blood, forgiven. Forgiven. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, you and I now stand forgiven. Let me tell you, after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, if God were to go to my book today, do you know what he did on April 19th, 1979, when I came to Christ for the forgiveness of my sins? When I chose to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Think of it this way. He went to his computer and he pulled up my page and he hit control A, selected everything, all my sin. And then he hit control X, which cut all that sin out of my page, off my page. And he flipped over to Jesus' page and he hit control V. He pasted all the sin in my life onto Jesus. On my page, he wrote in Jesus' own blood, forgiven across the top. So now my page is clean other than the blood that says forgiven. All of my sins were transferred to Jesus. I mean, that's a reason to say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
For those of us who have come to Christ and said, please forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. I want to turn from my sin and follow you as my Lord and Savior. That's true of you. Your page is clean. You know, I have a simple receipt here for something I purchased. And you say, what's, a, what's the reason for a receipt? What's the purpose? To show that something was paid. To show us that the payment was made. Why should we look at an empty cross? Beloved, because that's the sign. That's the receipt. The receipt of what? The receipt that Christ paid the payment for our sins. So the first promise of Easter is an empty cross. Where there we find the promise of sins forgiven. Well, let's get back to our ladies. The women in Luke 24. After pausing briefly to view the crosses on the hillside, they continue on their way down the path to the tomb. As they go, one of them actually wonders out loud to the others, we should have thought about this, but who's going to move the stone? And they had good reason to be concerned about this. That stone that was placed in front of the tomb was a large boulder, probably weighing upwards of two tons. And not only that, but the, the Romans had sealed it no one was allowed to move it without their permission. But in faith, the women still continued. On their way, they suddenly felt the earth shake under their feet. And they paused and were frightened, but after a few moments, things seemed to return to normal, so they continued on their way. And as they approached the burial site of Jesus, they're still wondering what just happened with that earthquake that happened but they come upon something that's even more remarkable. As they gather closely, closer to the tomb, they look and they see all the soldiers are laying unconscious. They see that the stone is no longer where it should be, but it was removed. It's moved. And the angel, there's an angel glowing like lightning sitting on it. Here's what the angel, angel's words were. To the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, you who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen. So we have an empty cross, but now we have, what, an empty tomb. Jesus had risen. He was alive. The tomb was empty. And what a tremendous promise that holds for us. Let me tell you a little story about a young man. He never really felt that he belonged. He was pleasant enough, but he kind of looked a little odd, and sometimes he seemed to act a little strange to his eight-year-old classmates. So he's always kind of on the outside of the in-group. And in his Sunday school class several weeks before Easter, his Sunday school teacher gave the class a special project. He gave every member of the class one of those plastic eggs that uh, nylons used to come in. And he explained that each child was to go outside, find a symbol of new life, and put it into the egg. Well, you can only imagine the kids were very enthusiastic to get out of class, so they ran out and did their project outside. And back in the classroom, the eggs were opened up one at a time with each child explaining why they put in the egg what they did, the meaning of the symbol. In the first egg, there was a, a pretty flower. In the next egg, a, a beautiful little butterfly. The third egg held pieces of green grass. In the fourth egg, there was a 
a rock. <laughs> Everybody kind of chuckled at that. And finally, there was one egg left. And when it was opened, guess what? There was nothing in it. And one child blurted out, that's stupid. Another one grumbled, someone did it wrong. The teacher soon felt a tug on his shirt, and he looked down, and there was this young man who quietly said, that's, that's mine. I did do it right. The egg is empty because the tomb was empty. Well, there was an unusual, thoughtful silence that fell over the classroom. And strangely, from that time on, this young man was accepted as part of the group. Well, he continued to struggle with his many physical problems. And unfortunately, that summer he picked up an infection. And most children would have been have easily shaken that off, but due to his complications, his body grew weaker and weaker. And after a few weeks, unfortunately, this young, this young boy passed. He died. And at his funeral, there were nine eight-year-olds with their teacher. And they brought a symbol of remembrance of this young man, and they placed it near his coffin. And their unusual gift of love to this young man wasn't a bouquet of flowers. It was an empty egg. Now a symbol to them of new life and hope. See, it was this different little child who helped his friends see the wonderful hope in the message of Easter. In the fact of the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of every one of us that we too will be raised to eternal life. See, to those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, death has lost its sting. It is no longer something to be feared. What fear is there when you're, you're looking at a promise from God that one day we will live with him forever in heaven? You've probably heard this illustration of the father and son traveling down a country road and a bee inadvertently flew into the car and the son being extremely allergic to bees panicked and the father simply reached over and snapped the bee up in, his, in the palm of his hand and held it there. And the son kind of settled down a little bit. And within a minute's time, the father released the bee again. <laughs> and the poor little boy began to panic again. And the father said, relax, son. I took the sting. The bee can't hurt you anymore. And he opened up his hand and he showed the son the stinger of the bee in the palm of his hand. The empty tomb is, is God's way of saying to us, relax, my child. I took the sting. Death can't hurt you anymore. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus was alive. The angel said so much. He is risen. And the promise to us is that we too can live even if we die. That's the second promise of Easter. But it doesn't end there. We have an empty cross. We have an empty tomb. One more promise. The empty burial clothes. The empty burial clothes. Well, let's get back to our story of the women. After the angel had spoken to the women, they immediately went back to the apostles, the Bible tells us, and reported what had happened. And with this incredible news, Peter and John immediately raced back to the tomb to see it for themselves. They couldn't believe it. 
And when they got there, the Bible says that John stopped just outside the tomb. But Peter, being the person he was, just ran right in. It didn't take long to discover that the tomb truly was empty, just the way the women had said it was. But that's not all. As they looked around, Peter found the clothes, the burial clothes that Jesus had been buried in. Guess what? They too were empty. This can only mean one thing. Jesus was alive. Because if, if someone would have stolen his body, they wouldn't have removed the burial clothes and folded them nicely and left them where they lay. Truly, Jesus was resurrected. It wouldn't be, be, it wouldn't be long before Jesus himself would appear to Mary Magdalene, to all the apostles, and the Bible tells us eventually over 500 people saw the risen Lord. He would sit down with them, he would walk with them, he would talk with them, even eat with them. Once again, they would be able to have fellowship with their Lord and Savior. See, that's what the promise is of the empty burial clothes, that Jesus is alive. And you know what? He wants to fellowship with you. Jesus isn't some nebulous force out there in the universe seeking to influence people. He's a living Savior. And he desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us, just as he did with these disciples some 2,000 years ago. Think about that. The cross couldn't hold him. The tomb couldn't contain him. And even his burial clothes were unnecessary. Why? Because he was alive. He has skin and, and bones and a face, and he was recognizable by all those people. And he talked and he touched and he, he loved and he healed. He did it the day of his resurrection. And guess what? He still does it today. Most importantly, he wants to do it with you in a personal way. I want to ask you a very important question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you know about him. If you've been to church once, you know about Jesus Christ. But do you truly, personally know Jesus Christ? You see, you can know someone and not truly know them. Pick your favorite sports figure. Pick the President of the United States, Donald Trump. We all know about him, but we probably don't truly know him. See, these are people that we can know something about. But do any of us really know them in a personal way? The good news is you can know Jesus Christ. You can know his love, his care, his healing, his forgiveness. It's been nearly 2,000 years since Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. The first Resurrection Sunday is the women went to the grave. They had no idea what was about to happen to them. Not a clue. They were not aware yet of the wonderful promises that awaited them that day. Off in the distance stood an empty cross. The promise that their sins were forgiven. At the end of their journey was an empty tomb. The promise of their eternal life. And inside the tomb were empty burial clothes. The promise that they would once again have a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the living Savior. The promises that they discovered that day, beloved,
The good news is you can have that today. You too can know the freedom of forgiveness of sin. You too can know the promise of eternal life in heaven forever. You too can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I remember some years ago I bought something at one of the big box stores that starts with a C. <laughs> and it's kind of a pricey item. I got it home and it just didn't work out for me. And kept meaning to take it back, take it back, while months went by and eventually I lost the receipt. And I felt kind of nervous about taking it back at this time. I had it so long, but I thought, well, somebody, I think my daughter said, well, they'll take anything back. Just take it back. They have a pretty good return policy. So I kind of sheepishly walked into this store, walked up to the return. It's going to help you. I want to return this. It's been a while. And, and uh, she kind of, do you have the receipt? I said, no. And she said, well, heaven's sake, why'd you wait so long? I said, well, I don't know. I just, you know, didn't get around to it. And I thought, they're not going to, they're not going to give me a refund on this. Well, she called a manager over. They looked at it up on the account because I didn't even have the receipt. Gave her my, my card. They looked it up. And uh, she said, okay, you're good to go. And I thought, wow, they really live up to their promises. I think more than any time of the year, that store, that, that store is like God. And, and that's what we need to, to look at it at Easter. We realize that God has made all sorts of promises. And some of them, frankly, are outlandish promises. And, and sometimes they're hard to believe. But this morning, we've heard about three promises that God has made us. The promise of forgiven sin, the promise of eternal life, and the promise of a personal relationship with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. My question to you this morning is rather simple. Will you take God at His word? Will you take God at His word? If so, I want you to listen to one more promise it's found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. If you're willing to listen to God's promises, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 is for you. Paul writes there, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, guess what? Will be saved. This morning, if you have never accepted the promise of God for your life, he's waiting He's probably wondering like that clerk in that store, for heaven's sakes, what took you so long? Don't wait another day. Do it today. And know the joy of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. I trust the Lord will truly bless each one of us this resurrection day. Would you please join me in a closing word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace to us as your people. Lord, none of us deserves anything from you except your just judgment for our sins. We thank you for the message of the gospel, the message that tells us of your gracious provision for the forgiveness of our sins through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask today that you would reveal your grace and your salvation to all who may be listening to this message that you would show each one their need of a Savior for the forgiveness of their sins, that you would reveal your holiness and righteousness afresh to us today. 
Show us our inadequacies, our inability to save ourselves from your righteous judgment and wrath for our sin. Draw each one to the Savior for heart transformation and forgiveness. Bless us today with the truth that your Son lived and died and then rose from the dead on the third day, victorious over sin and death. If you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I pray that even now that you may cry out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Forgive me. I want to turn from my sin to you. I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. That's a prayer that God will answer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. We ask, Lord, that those truths would ring true in our hearts and minds. Today, as we seek to celebrate our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, may you bless us and keep us by your providential hand. In Jesus' name, amen.